Good Lauksen. Lightborn did well to retrieve it for Kavanagh. He's weaved his way through. Oh, and he's found the gap! Kavanagh did what Brown was unable to do a few moments ago. He saw the gap between Mercer and the post, and he exploited it. Well, the pressure beginning to tell off now. High fives on the Stoke City bench. And Kavanagh, with his wealth of experience, he really whacks this in when he's left foot. Tinian's kick. Hello and welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast greatest game series where we talk about our guests' favourite Stoke City games from down the years. This time we've gone back to April 2000 to Wembley Stadium where Bristol City were defeated 2-1 by Stoke City in the final of the Auto Windscreen Shield. Our guest today is Tim Ward. Tim, how are you? I'm very well, just uh, getting through lockdown with uh, just fond memories and uh, nostalgia in the form of in the form of great Stoke games. So Tim, uh, what made you choose uh, this game? Um, I think this was probably the first game when I decided that football could be really good. I think because <laughs> I was so I was born in uh, 1985. So um, I kind of started supporting Stoke in the early 90s, really. Um, so I kind of got a hazy memory of sort of beating Man United and the autoglass trophies it was, and then the semi-final of the playoffs. But then this was the first time that we were actually good because obviously we got relegated in sort of 98. Um, and then it was uh, my football team playing at Wembley Stadium, which is, you know, something that, I'd never seen before and um, uh, I was lucky enough to be there. So it just brings back a lot of happy memories of a time when, yeah, we were in the, the third tier, but we, we won stuff. And um, I seem to remember we had quite a fun team um, at, at the time. So, yeah, it brings back a lot of happy memories. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we certainly uh, became a, a hell of a lot more fun this season. So this is the season in which the Icelandic Consortium take over Stoke City and install Gudjon Thordeson as manager uh, after uh, getting rid of Gary Megson. With Stoke, we're actually doing okay under Megson, but um, uh, they wanted their own man in. And uh, after a 4 0 win away at Wickham, Stoke. Uh, really started to get their act together a bit and uh, had a real uh, great run of form later in the season, which took us into the playoffs. Um, And just in the sort of broader context of the season, we snuck into the playoffs on 82 points. 82 points is a hell of a lot to finish uh, sixth place in. Um, Preston North End uh, won the title, Burnley finished second, and unfortunately it was Gillingham, the cheats, who uh, got to... Uh, join them via the playoffs after beating us in the playoff semi-final. But um, Stoke did taste success this season in the form of the auto windscreen shield. And you talk about a fun team. Um, I'm just on the sort of Wikipedia page for it now. And there's a real diversity of flags on our side compared to uh, an entirely English bar one Scott uh, for Bristol City. Uh, so our team was Gavin Ward in goal, uh, defence of Mikhail Hansen, Nicky Moan, Clive Clark, uh, the good John Thordeson 3-5-2, I believe this is, um, Binyard Gunnarsson, Graham Kavanagh, James O'Connor, Bjarni Gudjonsson, Arno Gunnlaugsson and Peter Thorne and Kyle Lightbourne up front. It, it is a hell of a, uh, a fun team and some like sort of stoke greats in there, Kavanagh, O'Connor, Thorne, um, it I think Thorne and Kavanagh were were the key players for us at, at this time. Any any other of those uh, um, stick in the mind as being favourite players? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd agree. That, like when I was sort of growing up, Graham Kavanagh was always my my favourite. So that, you know, he was obviously sort of in this game in particular. He was, I think, he he scored the first and assisted the second. Mm. Um, and then yeah, other good players. I seem to remember. Obviously, we only had them for a few months at this stage because the takeover was mid season. But um, Bjornika Johnson was always, I thought, a, a, a I've got happy memories of Biani. I, I seem to remember he was quite woefully inconsistent, but occasionally was brilliant. Um, so he was he was he was good fun. Um, and um, I did quite like James O'Connor mainly because I once met him at a harvester once, um, just <laughs> near Stone, uh, and he was a very nice guy. So um, so yeah, he's uh, he's fun. But like you say, it was a it was a fun team. And the first thing that struck me when I went on to look at the lineups was that diversity of. Bristol City entirely English, including the bench, including the manager, apart from one Scott. And then we've got, was it six English, three Icelandic, a Dane, a Swede, Irish, Scottish. So it's a real, uh, real mix. Yeah, and a, and a Bermudan in the form of Kyle Lightbourne, lest we forget as well. So um, yeah, and this is a fantastic game, and we and we will uh, get on to talking about it in a second, but. Um, I put an appeal out, and my prayers were answered about 20 minutes ago before we started recording, of um, I had a distinct memory of a charity match before this game. Now, this was one of my earliest footballing memories. I would have been six years old um, going to Wembley, and maybe I got a wrong impression of uh, what football was actually like, because this was my first season properly going to watch Stoke and we got to Wembley and the playoffs and had a good team and Peter Thorne seemed to score every week and it it was perhaps uh, maybe setting me up for a bit of a fall but one thing I do remember of the match and I think um, 
my mum or dad will be able to tell me about it, but I think I remember crying before kickoff because we had lost the pre-match charity game. Um, and uh, someone on Twitter, thank you to at Templeton David on Twitter, who uh, sent us the section of the programme which contains the teams for the charity game. Um, a, a real mix of people I've never heard of, as it, with most charity games, but some actually quite famous people. So um, Bristol City and Stoke City had assigned teams for the pre-match game. Uh, and our manager was uh, Helen Chamberlain, assistant manager Tim Lovejoy. This is at the peak of sort of Soccer AM being popular, I guess. But our team also contains uh, Gary Wilmot, Bradley Walsh, Mark Chamberlain, Stoke legend, and Ray Winston, Chris Evans and Robert Carlyle. So this is it's actually fairly star-studded. I don't, I don't think um, Ray Winston has played for many other teams. Uh Tony Robinson managed uh, Bristol City. Uh, th- their team is less star-studded, but it has Kenny Sampson and Mick McCarthy as as their uh, footballing uh, ex-players, and uh, Ralph Little, who seems to be in every charity match. Um, so, yeah, but I have posted a picture on our Twitter of Chris Evans flying down the wing for us, but uh, I'm pretty sure we end up losing this game to Tony Robinson's uh, Bristol City. Um but yeah, um, I just just wanted to mention that because I I thought it would, had gone slightly insane with the memory of that pre-match game. But um, going back, go on. I was just going to say because I because I was I'm a bit older than you, so I was about fourteen, I think, and I've got absolutely zero recollection of that match. I must have <laughs> blocked that out of my my memory, or I just so happened to be so enamoured by posing outside on Wembley Way with my flag and my. I think yeah. I had a. I think I had a foam finger as well um, nice. in front of the Twin Towers that um, I think I may have missed that game or, or like I said, I've blocked it out. The, the, the horrible memories of losing to a Tony Robinson managed <laughs> side. Um, doesn't sound like there was much flair in our team. No, no, we, we, we're fairly... Uh, we, I mean, maybe Chris Evans could could uh, turn it on, but I, I, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't strike me as uh, particularly uh, particularly, you know... Uh, expansive football from the likes of Bradley Walsh and Gary Wilmot, but um, yeah, it. I'm, I'm glad just I, I can confirm that happened. But you you brought up there the, the flags and foam fingers and stuff. I do remember that being a very prominent feature of the day. Obviously, with us having not been to Wembley since 1992, they wanted to make the most of it. But I think, like, also maybe. Back then, maybe because it was the auto windscreen and not a cup, you know, a big cup final. We it, it felt was maybe looking back a bit American. We had foam fingers, we had uh, all sorts of uh, wigs and face paint and flags and all sorts. It was it was a proper sort of sea of colour in that Stoke end. We brought about thirty thousand fans. In fact, the attendance for this game is seventy five thousand, which is quite extraordinary for a football league trophy game. Yeah, it's. Uh... I seem I've got the recollection of Wembley being being full. I can't remember seeing empty seats, but obviously it was a smaller stadium then as it is now. But to see that there was mm. seventy five thousand for, like you say, the football league trophy, is quite absurd. Really, um, that it was that that much of a nearly a sellout. I guess Wembley Stadium was about seventy five, maybe eighty thousand back then. Um, I don't mm. know if it's just because would it been because this was the last. Sort of season of the old Wembley, um, more people were keen to to go because that summer was yep. when, it, when it was 
started to get knocked down after the England Germany game. So I don't know whether people are. Oh, we must we must go to the last football league trophy at the old Wembley. Yeah, possibly. It's um yeah, it's a bit of a sort of strange time in English football in general. It's the it's the, I think it's the last season of Wembley. Uh, I think Kevin Keegan is still England manager. Yes, he was. Yeah, because he was in Euro two thousand. So Kevin Keegan's the England manager, and he's at this game. He presents the the trophy to Nicky Moen at the end. Um, and uh, in sort of Stoke context, this is not long after Sir Stanley Matthews had died, um, and there was uh, quite a few banners in the crowd for for like win it for Sir Stan kind of thing. Um, what do you what do you remember about uh, going to Wembley then? Because my memories of the old Wembley being six years old are, are very very sparse. But what do you what do you remember? Um, I remember I remember that the so the the twin towers looking smaller than I imagined them. I suppose when you still see them on FA Cup final day or or England home games, they look massive. Um, but I seem to remember them feeling a bit smaller and a bit grubbier. They were quite sort of especially <clears> by then they were, which is why we knocked it down. They were quite dirty and quite grubby whereas on tv they look like these beautiful like glowing white sort of marble towers um but i do remember them being quite grubby i remember the stadium itself being incredibly uncomfortable because there was still sort of there weren't benches but there were proper wooden seats that were really tight and narrow and awkward and you had no leg room even as like a 14 year old i remember my knee sort of knocking against the seat in front of me um but I, but I also remember being like thinking it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen in my life, like to be at, at Wembley Stadium with, um, sort of wearing my Stoke shirt with my, with my dad, who's no longer with me any, these days. So um, it was great to go with him, and I got the coach down, the atmosphere. It was it was brilliant. It was absolutely wonderful. And like I say, to see sort of thirty, thirty two thousand Stoke fans crammed into to, to one one half of Wembley Stadium. Sort of see red and white, like you say, Stanley Matthews died a few months earlier, so lots of banners and stuff. It was, it was amazing. I, I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it it was. It's certainly it's bizarre to think about the these games. I mean, maybe someone will come on and talk about the the ninety two autoglass final. It'll be interesting to see how those two games compare in sort of uh, atmosphere and uh, sort of importance and stuff. Um, but. Like you said, this is this is a good Stoke team. This is a this is a fun team that is still formulating, still getting to know each other, um, and it's almost a shame that this team isn't the one that got promoted because we had Thorn and Kavanagh, and they were perhaps a cut above uh, quite a lot of teams for that level, and as would be proven in this game, uh, you know, they could have really done some damage for us if we'd have been promoted to the second tier but we not only uh losing the playoffs this season we losing the playoffs the season after we lose Thorn and Kavanagh and then go up with a sort of reinvented squad if you like in good John Thordison's last season uh, this this is um like I said my first season and it's the first Stoke shirt I ever own uh with Thorn 9 on the back this uh, Asics number uh really really nice kit and uh, uh it was back in the days where you had kits for, for more than one season. And it was, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of fond memories of that. And Bristol City's kit, in fairness, is very, very nice. It's a golden blue uh, number. Um, uh, but uh, speaking of numbers, their goalkeeper wore number two. And I remember finding that the most incredible thing it's, ever. It's the weirdest thing. Like, 
it's an affront to everything that's right with football, having a goalkeeper wear number two. It, make, it makes zero sense. I don't know why that was, whether you've had a chance to look at why that was. Why Billy, Billy Mercer? Billy Mercer wears, Billy num- Mercer, yeah. wears number two. Um, it's just weird. Did they retire the number one shirt? But I'm, I'm sure they've still got a number one goalkeeper these days. Yeah, it's it's really really odd. I've got uh, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page now, and there's nothing nothing I can see about uh, about Bristol City giving in the number two shirt. That will require some googling later on. Um, so uh, the run to the uh, final is is quite interesting because it seems fairly mundane. We seem to have made comfortable work on it if you just read the results as written. We beat Darlington 3-2. Uh, we beat Oldham 1-0, Blackpool 2-1. Uh, win the semi-final against Chesterfield, but this isn't the natural semi-final because after the semi-final, you get the Northern Area final. Uh, so we were already Northern Area champions uh, before uh, becoming actual champions. That, and that was a two-legged affair uh, against Rochdale. We win 3-1 at Spotland before winning 1-0 uh, at the Britannia. So uh, made comfortable work of them. However, in that first round game against Darlington, that goes to extra time. And Kyle Lightbourne, to my knowledge, becomes the only Stoke player to score a golden goal. Excellent. That's a good. That's a great fact. I think I'm pretty sure. Um, maybe someone else can correct me on that, but um, I've I've no I know of no other instance uh, of a Stoke player scoring a golden goal because this was around the time they started to experiment with stuff like that. I remember the Euros the following summer had either golden goal or silver goal. They definitely had a uh, golden goal in the final. Um, but I, that only lasted for like was it about? It, only, it seems in my head to only been like maybe one or two tournaments where they had that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I can't imagine we would have had any other golden goal winners as Stoke because we would have only had about a year or two to to actually do it. And uh, and well, there you go. Kyle Lightbourne's got his place in history, I guess. I think golden goal was around in Euro '96. I'm not sure because I remember hearing a story from, I want to say, Darren Anderson or one of the England players in Euro 96 saying that had they beaten Germany on golden goal in the semi-final, their their planned celebration was to all just run directly (laughs) off the pitch. Yeah, I've I've Uh, heard that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they were just going to sprint off down the tunnel, weren't they? Yeah, could have been one of the most iconic moments in English football. But, Which, if they'd, have um, been, if they'd have scored the winning goal at the other end away from the tunnel, would have been a hell of a jog from, yeah. one, from one end of Wembley all the way to the tunnel at the other end. But, um, oh well, we never got to never got to see that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a, a nice little uh, tidbit there. And, and Yeah, I don't, I don't know why Golden Goal didn't last, really, because it's quite a fun thing to do. I suppose you, you miss out on extra time drama, but I, I quite like... I quite like the finality of a golden goal. I think it's quite nice. Um, so the the final then, Stoke City against Bristol City. Now, uh, Bristol City this season had drawn with us twice. They were a, a decent side. Uh, they finished ninth this season uh, under manager David Burnside. But uh, I think we were probably slight favourites for this game, given our sort of higher league position. Uh, but, but but we could be an inconsistent team. There there were some uh, ropey performances uh, this season. Uh, but the sort of second half of the season, uh, from uh, 
game 33, which is Wigan Athletic, to game 45. So we go on a 12-game unbeaten run. Kavanagh's massive part of that. Peter Thorne scores four against Chesterfield in a 5-1 win. And a customary hat-trick against Bristol Rovers, who he always used to score loads against. Um, a hat-trick against Berry. He's just uh, scoring for fun this season. Um, so we, we play uh, Bristol City in goal. The team comes out under... Good John Thordarson and uh, Orphy from Duck Mag tweeted us with the question, Graham Kavanagh's opener, is it the best Stoke Wembley goal ever? Because it is a beauty. <laughs> um, I think I think John Waters' uh, run from the halfway line in the semi-final of the FA Cup was probably yeah. better. But um, I'd forgotten how good this goal was until I sort of watched it back early this week before before we we, we started chatting. Um, it's incredible. He, like... He jinxed past at least two or three Bristol players, sort of from outside the D by about five yards all the way into the area, and then absolutely levers it into the near top corner. Um, it's unbelievable. It's probably the second best Stoke goal at Wembley after John Walters is. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, it, he he weaves in a, a sort of crowd of Bristol City players, comes out on the left hand side, and absolutely whacks it between the keeper and the near post and. And uh, Stoke are away. And now, to be honest, uh, uh, having watched the highlights back, I've realised that the goals are all I can remember from this game. Do you remember anything else of the sort of pattern of play? Were we on top? Were we the better side? Uh, Because I can't. Yeah, sorry. I I seem to think that we were quite comfortable, but I do seem to remember we did quite a lot of sitting back. I don't think we sort of went for the kill after that goal. I, I can't recall a sort of flooding forward, trying to get a killer second. I think we kind of sat back a little bit, particularly as the game wore on, because Bristol City didn't score till sort of the 75th minute. So I think most of the second half, we spent it just sitting back a little bit. I can't remember us creating too much, but we didn't really seem in too much danger. Um, that might just be rose tinted specs looking back, but I can't remember us sort of being under the cosh at any point, but we just didn't go forward, which I think, I seem to remember, was kind of... Apart from the games where we sort of trounced sort of teams by four or five, that seemed to be the good John Forderton way. He's quite sort of, although he had quite a fun team, he could be quite pragmatic at times and sort of yeah. wasn't particularly keen on us flooding forward if we were holding on to a one nil. So, yeah, I think we were comfortable without looking dominant, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Um, and you've got you've got guys like Clive Clark and Brittany Argonison, uh and Biani, who go on to play for us in the championship and be uh, real, real solid performers for us uh, for a while. Uh, the bench is interesting because Chris Ualumo obviously would go on and, and play a hell of a lot more games for us. But there's two, well, Richard Dryden, I remember sort of vaguely hearing about, but I've never heard of Steve Melton, who is uh, also on the bench for us, wearing number 35. I, I have zero recollection of this player at all. No, I've um, got, I've, I've no idea who that is. Um, and just looking at his Wikipedia page, he apparently played for us five times. That was nice. That was his his Stoke City career. Um, so, yeah, it hasn't he hasn't lived long with the memory. He's a midfielder apparently, but I mean, I can't tell you whether that's defensive or winger or attacking or or what. Mm. Um, and so Stoke look relatively okay, but uh, Bristol City equalised from a corner. It's a really awkward sort of pinball-y type goal where we can't quite clear it. 
and uh, Bristol City equalised through uh, Holland, who I initially thought was Matt Holland, the uh, Irish player, but it's Paul Holland who, again, who is he? Um, uh, Paul Holland equalises from from the header. Um, only other thing I can sort of remember about this game is Peter Thorne having a massive shiner on his eye, which I can't remember if he picked up in the game or not, but he's got this massive black eye, Peter Thorne. Um, and then, uh, at the end, a piece of... I'm going to say unstoke uh, sort of quick thinking. Uh, <laughs> it's very unstoke. Gives us the winner. It's very unstoke. It's it's inventive and I say quick thinking. Um, I think yeah, because seems to be Bjarni sort of breaks down the left, um, so almost like a counter attack, I think, uh, and is brought down. And like you say, in a, in a moment of very unstoke like play, he quickly takes a free kick while the defender's complaining to the referee. Um, lays off, I think, to Kavanagh, who sort of steams into the box, sort of on the left-hand side. Um, he pings it to the back post where Peter Thorne just taps it in from about a yard out into an empty net. Um, so it goes from sort of the referee blowing a whistle for the free kick to the back of the net in about five or six seconds, if that. It is It is uh, a very quick uh, turnaround, uh, not just in terms of the free kick, but it's also three minutes after they score as well. So it's uh, put Stoke back in front and 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 then we go on to win it. Sorry we can't, well, sorry, I can't talk about uh, many more details from that match because uh, highlights are few and far between on the internet. You can get the goals uh, on YouTube, but there's very little in the way of other footage. But I remember having a VHS of... Uh, that the club put out of sort of road to Wembley kind of video. And the, I remember like behind the scenes stuff with all the players and all the, the sort of journey down to Wembley and stuff. I remember like the uh, video of them getting like suits at the, getting their suits fitted for Wembley and stuff. And this is, this is like proper club content before club content was a thing. Uh, on the, on the sub- subject of uh, Billy Mercer, I've just been on the, uh, one team in Bristol for him. Their fans are as bemused as we are as to why he wore number two. But the manager who gave him that shirt was Tony Pulis. Yes, Pulis was in charge of Bristol, wasn't he? Before did he leave in like the January or something? I think he did. Yeah, he uh, very not very highly regarded by Bristol City fans. Uh, Tony Pulis. So well, it's, a, well, it's a mystery then. The mystery goes on. Maybe we we'll have to try and. Well, I don't know. Is he, I think Kinda. the only people who will know will be Billy Mercer or Tony Poulos as to why he's wearing number two. Yeah, it's it's a completely bizarre one. Uh, and then Stoke City end up lifting probably one of the weirdest trophies that's ever been lifted. It's a it's a it's a shield, not a trophy, I should point out. Uh, and it's auto windscreen rather than auto glass. And I don't know about you, but are you always a little bit like? Ah, technically, we didn't win the Autoglass Trophy twice, so the song's wrong. <laughs> um, no, well, yeah, it's interesting. Like um, this, to- this sort of tournament and like the League Cup, I think you always associate its name with sort of how old you were when you first got into football. So for me, the League Cup's the Coca-Cola Cup because that's what it was when I first started watching football. And this will always be the Auto Windscreen Shield um, rather than the Autoglass Trophy or the LDV Vans Johnson's paint whatever it is um yeah and it is the most absurd looking thing well as i say it's a shield first of all with loads of um sort of crests around around the outside of it it looks enormous i'm sure i think on the highlights the commentary says it's the heaviest trophy in football which it's it's quite the <laughs> i claim. don't know how they work that out <laughs> yeah it's quite the claim 
Um, I think it takes two of them to lift it when it's handed to them, I think. Yeah, it's uh, it's Nicky Mohan, the captain. Uh, Nicky Mohan, to be fair, I don't really remember too much about him. I th- was this the season we had Tony DiRigo as well, or was that the season after? Because, I think that's the season uh, after, I think. Um, yeah, because I thought... Um, when I thought, oh yeah, 2000, we must have had Lara Sigurdsson. Um, but actually, ironically enough, we sold our only Icelandic player, I think the year before we got taken over by the Icelandics. Um, but yeah, I've not got huge memories of Nicky Merrin. I seem to remember he was okay, but I certainly, certainly isn't the first name that pops into my head of some great Stoke City captains or sort of stalwart defenders mm. for us. Uh, correction and clarification. Um Kyle Lightbourne was not the only Stoke City Golden Goal. In the very next round, we won via Golden Goal again. Uh, James O'Connor in the 116th minute against Oldham Athletic. So we had two Golden Goals in our first two rounds. Uh, and I'm also reading that Bristol City had a bye in the first round, which, I, which you know, this, this tournament is strange for so many reasons and they drop and change the rules as they go. But they had a bye straight through to the second round. So they didn't even have to work as hard for it as we did. Yeah, I think, would that be because of the number of the number of teams in the tournament? Is there like an odd an odd number? And so did a few yeah, of them have to get a be. bye? So, I guess, I guess even, well, they would have been very lucky if they were the only team to get a bye. I don't know whether a few of them did, but... Um, yeah, we had to work a lot harder. We had to get past the might of Darlington in the first round. They had uh, nothing to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, an uh, interesting sort of uh, fact about uh, our uh, Football League trophy successes. Both times we won the Football League trophy in whatever form, the Vale have won it the very next year. Um, so their two Football League trophy wins both come the year years after uh, ours. So... There's our 1993 and 2001. Uh, they beat Brentford 2-1 in the LDV Vans Trophy, where Dave Brammer was man of the match for Port Vale. Um, so, but that was at the Millennium Stadium and not at Wembley, so it means less. And the attendance was 25, a lowly 25,000. Um, Might as well not bother. Yeah, it's... Um, I, do, yeah. I do find that an interesting... It's one of my sort of interesting sort of quirks of like football facts that the... Football League trophy, as it was, stayed in Stoke-on-Trent for sort of two whole years, twice. It's like a weird little little quirk. I was disappointed to, because I've always maintained that we're the most, alongside Vale, the most successful team in the tournament. I thought, oh, well, we've won it twice. No one else has. But I found out that I think mm. Bristol City have actually won it three times now. Um, so we're not the most successful team in the tournament, which is quite disappointing. But we'll always have those golden goals, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... And it's it's funny looking back at, on the teams uh, who were in these two divisions at the time because uh, some of them have, uh, well, disappeared from view in terms of uh, a footballing sense. So this uh, this season we were playing uh, teams like, well, Darlington, who sort of literally did disappear from view for, for a time. I think they're sort of a Phoenix club now. And we I remember us playing Scarborough perhaps the next season in this tournament as well. So in Scarborough who uh, completely vanished. Uh, Burnley uh, are in the Premier League now from this league. And uh, I don't think any other team from this division is in the Premier League. Cardiff uh, got promoted. Uh, Wigan were in there for a while. Um, Bour- Reading as well. Are Bournemouth in the division below us at this point? Bournemouth are in our division. They finish uh, 16th. Oh, yes, yeah, so a Bournemouth, of course, yeah. I, I, I don't read them as a Premier League <laughs> club in my <laughs> no, mind. it's easily done. <laughs> Yeah, um, 
yeah, Preston uh, get promoted, I think, under David Moyes this season because they have a real go at uh, going up to the Premier League, don't they? Uh, I think possibly even the next season. Uh, so they win the uh, title. We lose to them in our first away game of the season. Um, but we we beat them at home. And uh, some just reading some, some names off our goal scorers this season. Remember Frode Kipper? He was from Liverpool. Was he any Norwegian good? I can't, I, can't remember, I can't remember anything about him, but I remember him being from Liverpool and being fine. Um. Yeah. Well, we probably had a lot of uh, fine players this season because we bought uh, a hell of a lot of players, a lot of loan players as well as uh, Goodjohn tried to kind of put his squad together and, and try to move on some of the players from, from Megson's time. Uh, so we've got a, a real... A deep squad. Um, uh, Anders Jakobsen played 29 games for us, a, a Norwegian defender. And I just, I just remember these names because with this being my first season, I just like absorbed the the back of the the program and tried to like learn every player, learn uh, what their numbers were and stuff. Chris Chris Short is our number seven this season. He plays 14 games, but he's a defender. So we've got a defender wearing number seven. Um, there was a Jason Kavanagh in the team. I'm, I'm just, I'm literally just reading the squad now, but it's, it's, it's just, I just find it interesting. Um, yeah, because we've got, so you got um, Chris Short wearing number seven, but Brynjolf Gunnarsson, a midfielder, wearing number two, which it's, it's perverse. The wrong, it's the wrong way around. Um, yeah, it's an odd squad. Um, like some of the people, some of the sort of the names I sort of remember from. From back then, like Neil McKenzie, I seem to remember, and uh, Robert Heath, uh, Kevin Keane is listed. I don't know, was, was he injured for the for the final? Because surely he would have been one of our first choice. Yeah, yeah, he, I, I would have had him pegged as being like our first choice left winger, but um, yeah, and, uh, doesn't doesn't appear to be in the squad. Uh, it's yeah. It's a real disappointing uh, end to the season for us with that sort of heartbreaking uh, playoff defeat where Rob Stahl sends off two of our players at uh, Priestfield and and Gillingham uh, go through because we'd won uh, the first leg 3-2 after being 2-0 in front after eight minutes and then we uh, lose uh, 3-0 at Priestfield and it's a a real, real uh, sad day. Um, what what do you, what do we think of Good John sort of retrospectively because he was sacked, Stoke being Stoke five days after he eventually got us promoted. What what do we think of of Good John overall? Was was he was he good? Should he have perhaps done better? Um, I I liked him and I still look back on sort of his tenure as quite fondly. I think that's probably because of how old I was at the time. So sort if of, you know between the age of like fourteen and seventeen. But I look back at it like quite fondly, his sort of time in charge. I mean, it seems a bit harsh to give him sort of, well, he had half a season here. So you could argue that's, you know, losing the playoffs when you had only half a season. It's not really your squad, I guess, you know. And like I say, we were robbed by the referee in the semi-final. Um, so we got a, a following season, again got to the playoffs. It seems a bit harsh then to give him another crack at it. And then five days after he does it, and he does get his promoted, we then get rid of him. It seems like a... A bit of a harsh thing to do if presumably I can't remember although we were owned by sort of a foreign consortium I don't, we weren't sort of flush with cash I don't think um, so I don't know what our expectations were I can't remember us necessarily thinking we'll steamroll the division and finishing 
lowly playoff position is not good enough for, for Stoke City. But um, yeah, I, I think he should have been given a, a, a chance in the championship. I think he, he earned it and he seemed like a he seemed like a nice guy. He seemed like he was yeah. um, seemed like a nice nice guy and you know it's that whole period when we owned by Icelandic people and had good John as manager and we had at any one time at least five or six Icelandic players was was bizarre. But um I quite liked it. I thought it was quite quite fun. Yeah, especially in light of uh, the Cottrell debacle, the the, the decision to uh, get rid of Good John after promotion uh, does seem uh, even more sort of uh, frustrating and annoying. Uh, Tony Dorigo and Wayne Thomas join us the next season. Uh, we had um, it's interesting the point you make about sort of the the cash and this was um, this was uh, interesting because they had initially put some money out in terms of transfers. I mean, Brynjol Gunnarsson was our record signing, I think, and he was about 600,000. But it wasn't until uh, Goodjohn's final season where we sort of reinvest the Thorne and Kavanagh money from Cardiff to get us the likes of uh, uh, Peter Hoekstra uh, into the side and sort of uh, build a new squad from there. Um, uh, the, The next season in the new LDV Vans trophy. Port Vale knock us out in the semi-final after extra time. Uh, we'd beaten, we beat Scarborough, Halifax and Warsaw uh, before Port Vale knock us out on the way to them winning the LDV Vans trophy. So, yeah, it's a very sort of uh, Staffordshire-influenced uh, cup at, at this time. Um, yeah, but those Icelandic years, I've just been in uh, Twitter DMs with someone who's planning to write a book on these uh these seasons and it's it's certainly a fascinating time to write about because you've got the sort of uh, boardroom intrigue of uh do they actually know what they're doing are they are they investing it properly are they getting the right men in and you've got the sort of the squad uh going from winning the auto windscreen on our first season two seasons of playoff heartbreak get, getting promoted sacking the manager very nearly going down under Pulis and the whole sort of Pulis versus the board dynamic, which um, like really sort of kicks off towards the end of his spell. And yeah, they are bizarre times, but they had sort of broke. They were a sort of break from uh, Coates and Humphreys, who at this point were real sort of pariah figures for us. And this is Stokes sort of starting to look ahead and look look towards promotion. Um, any more memories of the final than anything else that's worth mentioning about the final? Because uh, there will be people with better memories uh, than me who might be screaming at their, their iPhone or something right now saying, well, why haven't you talked about, I don't know, Ray Winston's amazing overhead kick or something? <laughs> um, well, as I say, I, I, that, that charity match, you could, you could be making all that up and I wouldn't have any argument to, to come back at you against that. I, I can't remember that at all. I, um, the only thing I, I got a vivid memory of is um, either Fawn or Kavanagh, one of them wearing like a red and white jester's hat. Um, after, the, yes. after the game, obviously, not like half-time they came out wearing them. Um, so after the game, dancing around with a jester's hat on, carrying the shield. I think the two of them, because obviously the two goal scorers. I, seem, I've, I don't know why that in particular was stuck with me. I don't know whether that was the picture that was... Was that the picture that was on like the Sentinel on the the next day? Um, I've got a definite yeah, vivid memory of seeing them both, either both of them or one of them's wearing a jester's hat. Um, that's that's for some reason has occupied a space in my memory for <laughs> for nearly twenty years. Um, I'm I'm reading a Sentinel article now by uh, our mate Pete Smith, who uh, points out there are actually three um, 
autographed trophies or football league trophies uh, in the Bet365 stadium at the the moment because uh, after winning it for the second time, like Brazil with the third jewels we made, we were allowed to keep uh, the uh, auto windscreen shield. But there are two auto windscreen shields in the Bet365 stadium uh, trophy cabinet, a miniature replica like all winners received and the real thing which Nicky Mowen lifted at the old Wembley in 2000. Um, uh, so we'd we'd won the autoglass in, in 93, Mark Steen with the winner against Stockport. Um, but I do like this, this tournament in, in general. I, I, I don't know why I like it, but I think it's just maybe the giving third and fourth tier clubs uh, a day out at Wembley and uh, just breaking the monotony monotony of the season maybe um I, and it was interesting watching that Sunderland till I die documentary and, and how up for it the Sunderland fans were even in its sort of maybe bastardized version with the under 23 teams which I'm not a fan of uh, being part of it um but they were really gutted when they lose that uh football league trophy final to to Portsmouth and even for big clubs it's it's still important to to win trophies and 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 get, get that, that day, day out. out. Yeah, I think so. I think like if you are in sort of the the, the, the lower tiers, like you say, this is a, a, a tournament that you, if you're a big club as well, like like us, if we if we were down there and Sunderland more recently, it's something you've got a realistic chance of winning. You get to go to Wembley and like I say, it's a trophy. You get a miniature replica one that you can have in your stadium. Um, it's it's nice. It's fun. I mean, like I say, I don't agree with what they've done with it now with under 23s entering it and I think that's sort of solid the good name of the football league trophy but um yeah it's just a nice tournament it's it's good it's good fun I actually went to one um that wasn't Stoke City I went to one in about 2013 I think was I think Peterborough versus Wigan I think um okay and being a neutral uh, it was great fun. I think it was three two or something, and you know they had fireworks and those like um, when the teams ran out, they had like those flame thrower kind of stand things. Um, it's just really good fun. It's a great tournament, and there are some uh, great little facts in this uh, Pete Smith article as well. Uh, in uh, nineteen ninety eight, we uh, had a match against Rochdale in this tournament, and it was postponed four times before being switched to the Bet365, uh, the, well, the Britannia Stadium at the time, of course, uh, where we eventually lost because uh, Rochdale's pitch was crap four times in a row and uh, we eventually took him back to our place and, and lost that. Um, <laughs> so have you got, the, it, have you got the, the score out of that Rochdale game? It wasn't too well. I, I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. No, I can try and find it. Because I've got, I've got a haunted, I've got a haunted memory of um, going to a Stoke game at the Britannia, where for some reason they had um, like pay on the turnstile, and more people turned up than I think they were expecting. So I didn't get in with my dad until about fifteen or twenty minutes into the game, and we were already two 0 down against Watchdale. Um, Okay, that, that would that would that would fit because uh, we lose two one. Dean Crow, Dean Crow yeah. scores around the eighty eighth minute. Oh god, I didn't realize that this haunting memory of seeing us play Rochdale was also a game where they was it the fifth attempt or fourth attempt to actually play it. Oh god, it makes yeah, it even fifth, yeah, it makes it even worse. Um, Jesus, and uh, yeah, got. I think Rochdale are a bit of a cursed club for us, to be honest. I'd, I'd, it never seems to end well when we when we play them, apart from, apart from uh, this season, of course. Um, and uh, so it mentions Kyle Lightbourne became uh, uh, first 
ever golden goal winner for Stoke. And then James O'Connor uh, did the same in the next round at Oldham. But only after floodlight failure had seen the first attempt to play the tie, Brynjar Gunnarsson's debut, abandoned after 56 minutes. Um, so it's a bit of a cursed tournament in general. I don't remember this spell of games being called off and just bizarre happenings all over the shop. It happens a hell of a lot less. I can't remember the last time a game got called off for floodlight failure in any division, to be honest. No, it's it's weird. I don't know if it's just because, I suppose... Well, as I say, back then were, were pitches and stadiums a bit crapper, but it's only sort of 20 years ago. It's not like the 70s where... Pitches were just basically mud fields. Um, I'm surprised mm. it took four times of playing it before they decided, you know what, lads, we can't host this game. Let's move it to to Britannia. We can't can't keep doing this. Yeah, it I'm, it's a bizarre, odd little tournament, and the sponsors change all the time, and the rules change all the time. But I'm I'm so glad it existed. A for the uh, we've won it two times chant, and 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 B for so memories like the the Bristol City two one, which was was so formative for me in just in my uh, Stoke sporting life. Like Peter Thorne, uh, I've, I've written about on the website. He's a, my first Stoke City hero. And, you know, maybe if we didn't have a player like Thorne, I might not have liked football as much as a, uh, as I did. Um, so uh, unless there's any final points you want to bring up, any memories from around this time, uh, we'll wrap it up there. So uh, anything else you want to add? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's been it's been a nice nostalgia trip to to think about that. Like I said that was as I said at the start. This was probably the first time that I can properly remember something good happening to Stoke City, <laughs> um, and so it's got a lot of happy memories. Um, and at the moment, we kind of need as many of them as we can possibly get. So thank you very much for inviting me on to to ramble on about it. No problem. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Go on, Stoke. Bosh.